Pluto TV is as easy as it is free, and it's totally free, with over 300 channels and thousands of TV shows and movies. Finding what you love has never been easier. Just open the app, and something good will already be playing, because it's curated by real humans who love TV as much as you do. So you'll spend a lot less time scrolling and a whole lot more time watching. That's why Pluto TV is TV the way it should be. All you need to do is download the app and start streaming. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never. Hey, everybody. Good news. We're doing the Comedy Fantasy Camp again. Jay Leno's going to be there. I'm going to be there. John Lovitz is going to be there. Caroline Ray is going to be there. Many, many other big comedians are going to be there. February 29th through March 3rd. Tickets are going to go fast, and it's all going to culminate at the world-famous Hollywood Improv. So come and join us at the Comedy Fantasy Camp and work with the pros. Get your tickets at ComedyFantasyCamp.com. This is Below Deck's Captain Lee. Listen to my new podcast, Salty, with Captain Lee. Um, don't you mean our podcast? Uh, yeah, I guess I do. Anyhow, listen to Salty with Captain Lee, co-hosted by my assistant, Sam. And we will be talking about the latest pop culture news and all the gossip every week. So does this mean we have to talk by ourselves, about ourselves, or can we at least have some guests on? I don't know, I find myself pretty interesting, but yeah, we can have some guests on, some of our reality TV friends, and some stars. Works for me. Listen to Salty now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Recorded live at Corolla One Studios with Adam Corolla and board-certified physician and addiction medicine specialist, Dr. Drew Pinsky. You're listening to The Adam and Dr. Drew Show. Get it on. Got to get it on. No choice but to get it on. Mandate. Get it on. I'm disappointed that Emmy didn't have a special intro for today's show. We have one for Mark Gargos, for not for the one and only Dr. Bruce. I was trying to figure out how we can do doctor and doctor. You could just, next time, just, just jump in. So it's it's the Dr. Drew and Dr. Bruce. <laughs> Dr. Bruce, yes, and Adam Show. Uh, and Drew Show. So in any event, Bruce, thank you. This one of the things I like about doing this show is uh Adam, you know, he fucks off occasionally and I get to see my friends in here. So yeah, it's we can talk to... can we talk shit about Adam? Oh hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Why, why he's abused he's... us both and <laughs> less less me than you. So let me let me uh less well, okay. So <laughs> Bruce Heishober is a physician and friend. Uh we've been running parallel paths in medicine since we were in our twenties. Right? Thirties, yeah. man, twenties probably. Yeah. Um I was telling someone a story and, and you know who is Dr. Bruce and Dr. Spass. And uh and I was telling someone about my own history with uh, mental health when I was an adolescent and how that got me interested in mental health uh, for adolescents a little bit. And then I started thinking about that those days we used to hang around the whole adolescent health community. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Dr. McKenzie, USC. We were both on faculty there. That's right. And I I don't, because SC has been so weird about the faculty positions. Like I just left, I was in the Department of Psychiatry for like 10 years or 15 years. And I just left it on my my CV. They called me like, "How dare you?" Blah blah blah. So I I've been afraid to put the McKenzie thing on there because he's gone and can't stand up, can't tell anybody that yes, we were on the faculty right. of pediatrics or adolescent medicine through the Department of Pediatrics. So I, was, I've had three different faculty positions. Wow. Yeah. Well, that was a nascent 
uh, field. Yeah. field, right? It, yeah. The first boards were early '90s, and you took them. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. You took them twice. I remember right. Uh, that one once. I've once. taken so many. I've taken emergency medicine four times. That tells you how old I am. Wow. So you've taken but, internal medicine, emergency medicine, addiction medicine, adolescent medicine. Right. And I can't remember anything. But we've had a steel trap, Drew. Mm-hmm. Come on. But we've had all this. I Listen, I couldn't remember whether I told you about my shoulders. And I know we kind of talked about your eyes, but I couldn't remember it was before or after your eye surgery. That's, the, that's how my memory works now. Yeah. It's like vague. Everything's vague. Well, you know, we can use uh, the GLP-1 agonist for neurocognitive issues. Can we? I heard that. And then for addictions. We could talk more about okay, that Okay, so you saw about Ozembic, right? And Ozembic, I also saw mood mood uh, treatment to yes. help with mood. Oh, for everything. For yeah. every, well, let's get into it. So what do you think about Ozembic? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, to me, it, it has its place. I think th- those are just speculative. Those are un, you know, there's not good verifiable studies on that. But um, I think that how long are you going to have to get these injections, right? How, what's the, you know, what's the duration you, of treatment? Duration of treatment, people stop, and it's, it's like a lot of weight management programs. Um, they end up being a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> Remember FenFen? Oh, well, you know. People are getting phenamine still. Still, I know. Which I don't understand, and even in medical systems. I know. I understand. There are weight clinics. There are people get it. There's still people pushing HGH and all kinds of crazy stuff so, in weight clinics. So what are, what are your concerns about HGH? Because people ask me about that all the time. Um, Human growth hormone. About? Right, right, right. Yeah, no. Uh, well, I'm trying to think of what I told my last patient that went to a – it just – so what – what my concern is, first of all, is what at what age are you going to replace? It's like testosterone. What, what an endocrinologist friend of mine said, if you're going to do HGH2 testosterone, it's cheaper and you get the same result. It, there's no increase, you know, as far as your, uh, um, your telomeres, those are going to splice off at the same rate. So it doesn't extend life. It, it does later in life what my endocrinologist friend said. He said, look, uh, if you're measuring testosterone or, or you know, the measuring HGH is more more difficult. It's less accurate, more difficult. But if you're down less, if you're way, way down on testosterone, low on HGH later in life, and you want to replace to maybe two-thirds of physiologic what it would have been when you're 20, that's reasonable. But a lot of these places, the younger patients I have, they go, and they're being, still being encouraged to get super physiologic, real high that's levels. Insane. That's it's insane. That's insane. That's insane. Now, I used to say this one. And by the way, they do it without a diagnosis. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, you have low testosterone. Let's, oh. Like, why do you have low? It's like saying, you have a fever. Why? Why well, do you have a fever? What's going on? And if they do measure and it's in a low, oh, low normal, it's in the normal range. And they say, oh, you're low. We need to replace. So now for us. Um, us older guys. Also older guys. I was talking to my primary about it. And he goes, oh, don't even want to measure it. I go, why not? And he goes, well, 14% of individuals have an MI within six months if they're over 65. Or of over taking 65. the medicine. If they, ta- if they yeah. get testosterone replacement. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know what the coronary artery picture is for if it's everybody, all comers or what. But or what if they just got a calcium score and then measured your testosterone and then give you the t- – I'm, I'm a fa- – listen, I was talking to a woman yesterday or Saturday, and she was complaining about some postmenopausal stuff. And I said, well, are you on hormone replacement? She's like, no. And I was like – and I thought to myself, would you say the same thing about thyroid hormone? I mean, it, when, you're, when your endocrine organs start to fail, it's okay to replace them. Right. Now, I understand 
you could argue that thyroid shutdown is a pathological state while ovarian shutdown is a normal part of aging. I would argue the degree to which we live to the point routinely where your ovaries shut down is not normal. Right. That's pat- that's kind of weird that we live as long as we do. So why not replace when your organs start to fail? And I understand it's not for everybody, but I mean, why recoil in horror? No, no of course not. It's like, yeah, you should think. I've seen some, Susan's on it, it's changed her life. Right. Well, you know, I don't do primary care, internal medicine like you do. So it's just daunting to me to manage as people's life extends. What do you do with these different systems that yep. don't, they don't change or they don't degrade proportionately at the same time? And I have patients ask me, it's like with the hormone replacement therapy for women, I don't, I don't, you, you could educate me because. Uh, it's, it's all <laughs> over the place. Right. Uh, so I'm a fan of it. When the, when, when the Women Health Initiative was done uh, and it showed that we should not be putting people on hormone, you're a witch doctor if you put, you're right. no better than a witch doctor. Turned out the study was flawed. Shocking. And because we took all these women off hormones and they fell apart. They became depressed. Their bones crushed. They became demented. And we were being told, you get dementia if you put them on estrogen. No, wrong. Some, maybe, perhaps. Uh, breast cancer, yes, an issue, but with the progesterone, turns out with testosterone, women on estrogen with testosterone may have lower risk of breast cancer than average. So it's it's and not, not everyone responds to each of these hormones the same way. That's the really crazy part. Some women, you give them testosterone, they just get aggressive and lose their hair, and that's it. They don't feel better. My wife changed her life, brought brought a part of her back to life. Right. Her mood was improved, her sleep was improved, energy level, everything better. Uh, but that she's not everybody. But, so you have to kind of individualize it. Right. I rely on other the, – the people I work with. I know the, a lot of the primary care docs still routinely refuse to provide HRT yeah. for, for yeah. postmenopausal women. Yeah, I and, I, I, and so I get confused because – I, I get confused by that too because it doesn't make any sense to me. They're, they're, they're clinging to a study that was flawed. Right. And there's lots of good new studies out there that suggest it's a mixed bag and we should be making individualized decisions. Right. Well, I think in a lot of things in in my area of medicine, I I get a lot of referrals to decrease poly polypharmacy. Well, tell them what you're doing now. Tell them what you're doing these days. Well, I I I wasn't a hero. I must admit. So during COVID, I stopped doing emergency medicine, probably to the benefit of the poor patients. I, I'm I I'm doing addiction medicine three days a week. I'm sort of half time addiction medicine, then half time pain medicine. Working as a consultant with the pain department. For Kaiser, get people right to mm-hmm. get people off their opiates. Yeah, and it we're really, I must say, the Yale New Haven people that did the studies on buprenorphine or Suboxone, Subutex for chronic pain, and introduced it in the nationally in the Veterans Administration. Did the study for DOD. Um, we're paralleling what they did about 15 years ago, looking at all the furor of everybody's on opiates for chronic pain. You know, I know when when in the '90s when they'd come in and inspect the hospital, the Joint Commission, if if they looked at the charts and reviewed, and there was a frowning face, somebody with chronic pain, why didn't you increase their? Basically, we oh were no, 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 not just with chronic pain, with any pain, right? So my heroin addicts in withdrawal who had frowny faces, Jaco would say, "Why aren't you giving them a right. painkiller? Why are you giving them opiates? Because they're." It's part of the withdrawal. What is wrong with you? I was so incensed by that. Listen, man, the the playbook of the 
way that the pain medicine world and the drug companies got control of the regulators was the exact playbook that was used in the vaccine rollout. Exact playbook. Same exact playbook. Evangelical physicians, pain medicine in the case of opiates, Dr. Deborah Burks in the case of the vaccine rollout and lockdown, both. That was the playbook. Then you get the regulators, then you get the government, then you get everyone, and then you silence and crush people who, during the opiate thing, I I was sanctioned by my hospital administration, the Joint Commission, the Department of Mental Health, California Medical Association, for daring to say that we should not be giving opiates to to opiate addicts. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Right. So... You know, I read the book The Empire of Pain. What I, I, I mean, I agree. Is the pharmaceutical industry had a, a big hand du- in that? Duplicitous. They were duplicitous. They're, right. But the the people, the, the JCH, the bureaucrats, they that, were the perpetrators. Right. They were the perps. Right. And no one knows that except you and me because we had to live through it. And people don't want to hear it. They want to. They. It's much more fashionable to go after the Sackler family, and you should. I mean, they were duplicitous. But it's always our profession. It's always us. Right. It's always us, and 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 it's and as we become more employed, more employees, and less yeah. thoughtful, academic, independent, the more of this shit we're seeing. It's yeah. just the COVID was eye opening for me. I don't think we've done a show since COVID. You and I have we in this. No, this but I know the, I know the path you've taken is very interesting. In terms of, <laughs> very, interesting. I'm sure it right, has, that you, it's it's against the narrative. So I, I'm not. Strictly speaking, against the narrative, I'm interested in ref- a, a accurate, refined application of the narrative. For instance, should a 22-year-old male with zero risk from Omicron, one out of 5,000 risk of myocarditis, let's just use that as an arbitrary, it might be one out of 800, it might be one out of 10,000, a risk of myocarditis, should that person with zero risk from Omicron, who is not going to transmit it to anybody or not going to limit their transmission with a vaccine, should we be giving that 22-year-old male a vaccine? That's my question. No. That's it. I don't think Why so. Why are we pushing it then? Why are Why we, we pushing, pushing it? What about a six-month-old? Why are we pushing it? Yeah. Why? What's I, going on there? I don't get it. But that's the narrative. I'm saying you're you're sort of – I don't think there's the, the there's going to be the – ad hominem attacks on you for not going along with the narrative. But th- I still see people driving in their cars by themselves with masks on. Oh, my God. Do you see uh, – con- <laughs> what's Lorenz? What was her name? The journalist talking to the libs of uh, TikTok. TikTok. Uh, uh, she had outside in a coffee shop or in a restaurant wearing a N95 mask outside. Still virtue signaling. That and, is so crazy. Yeah. It's, but it has no basis. I mean, that's insanity in terms of what she's doing. And, of course, in terms of wearing a talisman and virtue signaling and saying I'm a member of a certain team, of course it does that. But right. that's but all the, it does. In California, I can still get censured by the medical board. If I tell a patient, which I do, masks are useless, and then I explain in what situation they are helpful. But in general, if somebody called, right, isn't there that – they're past that act where – No, they didn't pass it. Oh, they didn't. Yeah. Okay. But, but, it, but listen, I'm a moderate on masks too. My thing is, hey, you, you know want to put – you, you're not going to protect anybody else, so stop it. But if you would like to protect yourself, you're going to have to wear a, a, a carefully fitted N95. And if, by the way, your glasses are steaming up because there's air, it's, not only is it going 30 feet, it may go 60 feet now. Yeah, it's not going six feet. It's going at least 30. It's an aerosolized virus. So now you've done nothing. Let me, let me talk to Adam here real quick. Uh-oh. Hey, Adam. Yeah. I'm doing the Adam and Drew show. With doc, with oh, doc, shit, I forgot. With Dr. <laughs> Bruce. So, Bruce, say hi to Adam. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot. Hey, Adam, I how you doing? Bruce saying hi. hi. 
I'll knock it out of the ballpark. We will. Don't you worry. You traveling? Yeah. Where are you off to? Uh, Vegas. Nice. All right. Have good shows. Me and Bruce are going to have out of here for a while. All right. Bye. Why not? He's driving his car, huh? Let me tell everybody about BiotiQuest. Uh, uh-huh. Groundbreaking news for this revolutionized uh, BiotiQuest product called Sugar Shift Probiotic. Probiotics, is, it's confusing, right? And Bio, BiotiQuest Sugar Shift makes it easy. It's not typical. What makes it different uh, is that it addresses through creating a prebiotic mannitol by converting glucose and fructose in the gut. That's what Sugar Shift does. And of course, mannitol is a free radical scavenger, promotes more diverse microbiome, uh, hopefully then reduce inflammation, improve regularity, might even help curb sugar cravings by supporting blood sugar. It's a patented formula with eight probiotic strains not found in other probiotics. Forget the basics. You need the right product to restore harmony. This is it. And, of course, we have our 15% discount off the first three months of your Sugar Shift subscription with the promo code DREW15. While results may vary, clinical trial results indicate the best results come at three months and beyond. Take charge. It's B-I-O-T-I-Q-U-E-S-T, BiotiQuest.com with code DREW15. So where were we? We were talking about the... uh, the craziness with the vaccine, the craziness with lockdowns, the craziness with masks. But the point is these these absolute and extreme positions are dangerous. Right. That's the reality. And, uh, and, and it should be more nuanced. It should be one doctor talking to one patient. All this centralized stuff, it, it makes things it, – it's, it's terrible. Right. And getting back to what I'm doing, so basically <clears throat> addiction medicine, a large amount of, of what I'm doing is – buprenorphine replacement or and it works op- great opiate addicts where and it's have you ever had a failure it works almost always right well i don't you know if a patient doesn't want to work a program and and you know the kid that comes in the average 20 year old started using when they're teens and they well, have no constant you're, you're confusing two populations one's chronic pain and one's drug addicts. Right, right, right 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 okay right, right. well drug addicts i get it that's a whole different okay, thing right and so chronic pain, where I was going with that, and so we had this push to prescribe lots of opiates until the patient's pain went away, and whether that was there was, you know, sort of the confluence of uh, of bad guys and uh, evangelism around. and bad guys. Right. Here's the one truth that everyone must know, and you can appreciate this: that when social evil is done, whether it's on a government scale, a local community scale, or a medical uh, disposition or a medical rollout. It's always in the name of doing good. Always. They're evangelical and their their commitment to the good. And they do untoward. That's how evil is done. Right. That's how it's done. Always in the name of good. Right. And if you're a practicing physician and you go against that narrative practice, and there's that initial turnaround where, you know, you, you can get into trouble with the uh, – the agencies, the, the regulatory the agencies. The yeah. regulatory. I've been involved. I went during opiate thing. I was, you know, they were killing my patients hand over fist, and I couldn't not speak up, and it right. was hard. Right. Well, I think having a high pro, you have a high profile, and mm-hmm. then anything you do is going to be scrutinized. Like anyway, so I don't Beautiful. know what detail I could go into, but basically, well, you can go to any detail about anything, whatever you want. Right. So basically, around what between two thousand five, two thousand ten, then there was this turnaround where. Uh, looking at anybody on opiates, that's it became a problem. And let's do, get do you know where off. that came from? No, I, I was there the moment it turned around. So it, it because it's crazy people don't know this. 
So uh, the Trump administration had a symposium, a, a day-long symposium that allegedly was headed by Melania. It was actually uh, – what's her name? What's the – Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne. Right. You told me about this. Yeah. We went and we spent the whole day, cabinet-level officials, all day long talking about what the nature of the problem was, what they wanted to do with it. And it was Jeff Sessions, the the um, attorney general, stepped in. He goes, he goes, I see what this is. I, I know how to change this. He goes, I'm telling you, in six months, it's going to change. You watch what I do. He put a half dozen physicians in prison, and it stopped. Like, within a month, it was over. People, all he had to do was put the excesses in jail. And of course, that's how we got, it's one of the ways we got into the trouble. People forget that one of the early sort of wins in the sale of the opiate prescribing practices was these these actions taken by various states, various attorneys in various states, to put prison, to put physicians in prison or find them outside of their medical practice, their malpractice right. for patient abuse for inadequate treatment of opiates. You've got to give more. And we all kind of froze again, and we sent everyone to pain medicine. Pain medicine were evangelists, and off it went. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's about, what, 2018? When it turned around? Yeah. Yeah, and what, what else pissed me off about that day was Trump was not supposed to be involved with that, but he came in at the end of the day, and he sort of, you know, does his Trump thing. And he... Um, at the end, it was going, I don't know, we got to do something here with these the people that distribute these things. I mean, you know, in some countries, they make them pay the ultimate price, but I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> entire day, entire day, nothing is reported except Trump says we should be killing drug dealers. Right. That's the only thing reported by the press. That's when I thought, oh, shit, I can't believe anything that comes out of the White House in terms of what the press is reporting. Right. It's that all stuck with me. You told me that story. And it just reinforces what we know about the, <clears throat> you know, the institutionalized <laughs> – uh, media right now, Ugh. but I didn't know. I didn't listen. But I, it wasn't as bad then as it is now. You know what I mean? Now it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Now you can't believe anything. Well, no. hey, for, before we keep going, let's let's hear a word from our friend Jordan Harbinger. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger show with the investigator who solved a serial killer case that had gone cold for decades. There was a definite spike in serial predator crime in the 1970s. Joe D'Angelo was a full-time law enforcement officer. He's breaking into houses in the middle of the night, raping women or girls that are home alone that he's binding up and sexually assaulting. He ended up committing 50 of these attacks in Northern California between 1976 and 1979 and just disappeared. The last thing I did in my career before I retired was I drove up and parked in front of his house. I didn't know he was a Golden State Killer, but I debated, should I just go knock on his door? This was such a brazen, brutal predator. He absolutely had to be caught. To learn more about how Paul Holes puts himself inside the minds of serial killers, check out episode 725 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. Yeah, so go ahead. I keep interrupting you on your your distribution of... So around 2010 in our system, it's interesting because... Kaiser. Right. The pain management department and the addiction department, it was like, who's better to know about opiates and pain management? Oh, boy. And then there was a turnaround. And, And it was the same thing. It was like the doctors that were tasked with managing chronic pain and and knew how to safely keep people on opiates supposedly were pressured to prescribe more opiates it was a crazy situation <sighs> then the turnaround came around 2010 and then we started having um, a clinical partnership with clinical pharmacy 
and we, and we put pain, addiction, psychiatry together, and it's been a great system. Yeah. And not only and and this is when I mentioned Yale New Haven, they started looking at polypharmacy and opiates. So mm-hmm. they had the opiate reassessment clinic, mm-hmm. and we did the same type thing. And what you had the pressures from the um, regulatory agencies, which have become really draconian in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got the the cures database and the DOJ knows exactly what's being prescribed in a system. Now you can't get a, a patient with pain opiates, which is terrible. It's, it's, it's all bad medicine. Let doctors practice medicine for God's sakes. Right. And they, they, they cause the problem and then they want to blame and regulate physicians as though, well, we were kind of the cause, but they were the ones that really put amplified it, the regulators. Right. It does get very difficult because now you have the, the beers list from Dr. Beers in the 90s and there are even antibiotics on there. And it's true. There are medications that are sedating and that have a, you know, there's a risk of over, uh, respiratory arrest. So the beers list is this list of overprescribing, essentially. It's an overprescribing list. And, and the word de-prescribing has become very fashionable now, which I'm very much in favor of. I, yes. But I think I sent you. I think I've. You I've, did send me some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just med medication lists, and what happens, especially in the in a time of specialists, somebody goes. They have their psychiatrist. They have their pain doctor. They have their primary care doctor. They have a rheumatologist, neurologist. Mm-hmm. And as people live longer, and and the maybe the first line medication, if somebody that's got rheumatoid arthritis, mm-hmm. you know, or someone that has fibromyalgia, um, you know, so the. So what happened what for me was uh, in doing addiction medicine, I get a lot of referrals of chronic pain patients. And the docs would say, hey, they're on tons of opiates. And this is around 2010 started. And they'd say, use that magical stuff you have to detox them, which Deep was buprenorphine, right? Yeah. And so a lot of the patients would say, that stuff gave me some people fantastic pain control, good pain control, but I could think straight and mm-hmm. I wasn't sedated and I wasn't out of it. And so- that became, which is now first line if someone needs an opiate. Again, opiates. It's first are not, line for chronic pain now. Yes. Oh my God, that's amazing. If, if someone that's needs great an news. opiate, no, no, it's not first line for chronic pain. It's first line if you need an opiate. Right. It's the safest opiate to use because opiates. But are, before they weren't letting you use it for pain. Right. Right. Which is amazing. So last time we really kind of got into this, you you were having some issues being able to prescribe it for pain. Right. And that you had some, to prescribe it only for addiction. Right. And there's there's some caveats that which, you know, stem from the Harrison Narcotics Act where you were certain kinds of It's interesting in the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, uh, there was a lot of opium and, and um, That was our first opiate epidemic. And then more and the addiction. Do, do you do you know they, they I read a claim that they put twenty thousand physicians in jail? Uh, with the Harrison Narcotic Act, because what they were doing, unscrupulous doctors were adver- they they were advertising this elixir to cure their opiate addiction, and they were all containing morphine or codeine, right. and then right. cocaine. Right, right, and the uh, Harrison Narcotics Act made sense in a way. I mean, of course, it overshot the as usual, as they always do. Right, but you can't prescribe an opiate to an opiate addict to treat their craving. So, so let's go. Even though they were trying to demand, I do it back in the days of the under prescribing of opiates if somebody had a, we had these pain scale happy to sad faces that every doctor had to fill out every day and every patient as the fifth vital sign think how insane that was assholes <laughs> and and, uh, and and then demand that I give a, a drug addict in withdrawal opiates it's just, oh you guys are brilliant let's finish Ozempic we didn't finish Ozempic we started with Ozempic we had to finish with Ozempic so what do we think should people be taking it for weight loss or not uh, you're the primary care. What do you think? <laughs> I I have 
I have get, I had two patients recently. They were exquisitely good candidates for this. They'd been overweight forever. They had multiple attempts at weight loss unsuccessful. Their type 2 diabetes was barely under control, like sort of marginal. And both of them refused it. <laughs> so, so it was weird. It was weird for me. While I get people calling me for it just for a, you know eight-pound weight loss all the time right. who shouldn't be taking it. Right. My concern for anything that's a quick fix in medicine is that's the problem, whether it's addiction, whether it's whether it's a vaccine, risk reward has gone out the window. And that is, weren't we trained only on that with every decision? Right. Right. I tell patients, I tell, we have a committee where we review polypharmacy patients, high opiate patients. And it's like a doctor that wants to drop the opiates. I say, what's the risk? What's the benefit? But, but in these patients, to me, one of the problems is in medicine, we have less and less time allotted for for, yes, for patient that's care. That's true. And so it, how long does it take to work with a patient and explain, rather than Ozempic, let's look at these other interventions. I'll see you back in a week. Well, here's blah, blah, blah. the deal. So, okay. So if you're by yourself, you can see the patient back in the week. If you're in a big system, can't you get nursing to do the education or some patient educator or some ancillary staff? T- well, yeah. but I'm not, So instead of getting somebody to do Ozempic... In other words, then it's, they still feel like they're being hit. To me, there's some there's something sort of sacred about the doctor patient relationship. And still, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, you want to do a Zempic? It'd be easier. Now, I'm not I'm not doing primary care, so I say go see your PCP, your primary no, care. Know. But if if you're thanks for that, by the way. Right. <laughs> go <laughs> that see. Pisses Dr. me Drew. off so much when people <laughs> when the subspecialists do that. No, no, no. But you're some, but you're the quarterback. I, know. I yeah. get it. So what I'm saying is, if all for the, except for the shit you don't want to do, that's where the quarterback. <laughs> Right. Well, I'm not guilty of any of these sins. But what I'm saying is if I can spend the time in walking the patient through some lifestyle changes, diet, exercise, whatever, rather than jumping to the Ozempic, if I say, oh, uh, I'll see you in three months, but go talk to this nurse every week. That's not the same as me. Yeah, I know. And and this thing where you have 15 minutes for a follow-up visit and and tell the patient only one complaint. I mean, give me a... I know. I know. It's terrible. People don't know how terrible it is. Right. That's why I'm working with the well. You know, I'm working with the wellness company now. I'm trying to get it in, things into the hands of patients. There's so much stuff patients can do on their own. I mean, they know how to use antibiotics. They know how to use topical. They just these things have been in the lexicon forever, and people know how to use them. They should have them. Mm-hmm. Why do they have to wait for a doctor's appointment? Why do they have to wait for going into an urgent care center? It makes no sense to me. And if we were still able to practice medicine, well, sure, yes, of course, we'd want that. But we're well, not able to anymore. No, I could I'd plug for Kaiser. They're very wellness and prevention oriented. So, with <laughs> if you, what do it, they do? Well, I, it's it's very focused on on looking at. They get people to work out. They get people to absolutely get their diet. Do they have success with that? Do they? There are, like you them, said, nurse follow ups for diet. There's diet. There's all kinds of uh, you know for patients that have blood pressure issues, diabetes issues. There are programs that that they can get into. There's structure a lot of that. these community. Yeah. What do they call the, the the? There's a name for these things. These community health organizations. Yeah. Well, they have their own. I mean, but. The, the problem is there are more and more people coming in the system, especially in California now. It's like mm. people getting health care coverage. And and when it comes to treating the chronic diseases, once they take hold, mm-hmm. it, it gets very challenging. I yes. think patient yes. expectations are unrealistic. Oh, my God, ridiculous. Yeah. But, but also it is extremely hard to change behavior before trouble starts, get them to not go to the 7-Eleven and to – 
go to the grocery store and you know stock up on groceries and things. People mm-hmm. don't do it. Uh, and so I, I'd be curious to see their data because it's hard. It, it is hard. And it lets you acknowledge how hard it is and really have ways, strategies for getting at that. I mean, by strategies, I mean lots of strategies. Well, at least I – so I don't always say go see your primary, but I do know <laughs> here's an 800 number. Here's smoking cessation. Here's weight loss, and there is a program. See, that feels very impersonal to me. It feels very – those things I've never had any results with, ever. And I've sent people to smoking cessation my whole career, and never. <laughs> no, but there were – but in other words, it's an, it's in addition to what I provide in terms of that. Now, okay. with the weight loss, there you know, sports medicine, there are ancillary clinics that provide – education and you know group encounters and okay. and support all right i'm all for it yeah. i'm all for it <laughs> all right everybody that uh, does it for today's show bruce can be in here with me all week uh, maybe adam will call in next show as well <laughs> forget that bruce and i are here uh thank you for that <clears throat> i'm at that man's beck and call that's all it's just whenever he needs me i'm here uh bruce where can people find you uh where can you want find the, me? you want them to go anywhere you want them to read anything uh, do you want them to I I don't have. A, you can go listen to the old um, week. What was our show called? Weekly Infusion. Was that what it was yeah, called? Yeah. We had a we had a great little podcast that's still up at doctor.com. You can find it there. Yeah. The, so, the disagreement was I said it needs to be on the fifth grade level, and Drew wanted it as in a more erudite presentation. No, we just I just wanted it more. Um, I, I don't like dumbing things down. I just think people people, <laughs> people can respond to stuff. They just they they get it. Drew, uh, when you're dumbing things down, it's more to my level. <laughs> Stop it. The, the, you have a, the weird I, – I love when people talk like that because I know immediately they're brilliant. We'll talk more when we get back. Uh, I'm here with Dr. Breeze. You can find me uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 3 o'clock Pacific time on Rumble. Just please subscribe my uh, Rumble channel and uh, pretty much everywhere else out on streaming. And don't forget the Dr. Drew podcast. We've some great guests there as well. And uh, we will see you next time. Mahalo. Pluto TV is as easy as it is free, and it's totally free. With over 300 channels and thousands of TV shows and movies, finding what you love has never been easier. Just open the app, and something good will already be playing. Because it's curated by real humans who love TV as much as you do. So you'll spend a lot less time scrolling and a whole lot more time watching. That's why Pluto TV is TV the way it should be. All you need to do is download the app and start streaming. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never.